Well, it's really fun to all be together today. I want to say thank you to those of you who are kind of climbing over each other and making room for one another and making allowance for our brothers and sisters here. We are bearing with one another in Christ, as the Bible says that we do. And it's just really fun to be together. I've been looking forward to this morning. I've been kind of on a high all morning long looking forward to this. So thank you for putting up with one another in the crowded space. It's great to be together. I think many of you may know that uh, I'm not originally from the great state of Minnesota. I love living here now. It's my home now, but it wasn't for a long time. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. And when I first moved to Minnesota, and I've actually moved here a few times through school and finally to settle here now. When I first moved here, I got to learn about some new weather phenomena. And uh, I'm not, not necessarily talking about snow in May because I'm going to pretend that never happened. <laughs> But one of the things that I got to learn about, and uh, many of you will know what this is, I, I learned about straight-line winds. Do you know what straight-line winds are? Oftentimes they're also called downburst winds. This is something that happens when a, a mass of cool, heavy, dense air, usually during like a severe weather system, a thunderstorm or something, will gather high in the atmosphere, and there'll be this warmer air down below it that's uh, lighter and, uh, and less dense. And when you have something that's heavy and dense sitting on top of something that's lighter and less dense, if it's a something like the air or a fluid, the heavy thing will fall right down to the ground. And what can happen is this massive, heavy, dense, cool air will fall down to the ground, and then it's got nowhere else to go, right? It can't keep going down to the ground, and so it has to go out. And sometimes it'll go out in like a radial pattern out from the center, but it goes out in a straight line. And maybe you've seen this before, or maybe if you ever seen like an aerial photograph of this, it'll knock over trees or whatever's in its way, but not just one or two trees, but whole forests sometimes will lay down in one direction because the straight line winds went out that way. And it can be really powerful. Winds in excess easily of 100 miles an hour, hurricane force winds, take off. And it doesn't look like a tornado. A tornado just scatters debris all over the place in a circular pattern. But these straight line winds, what comes down just must go out like this. And the more powerfully that it comes down, the more powerfully that it goes out. And now, I am not a meteorologist, and I don't take it for granted you are either. So it's not really important that we learn the weather patterns here today. But I'm telling this with you, telling this to you, because I think that God means for something like that to happen spiritually in us in response to the resurrection of Jesus. That what comes down must go out. And God has done something powerful in the world and in our lives in the resurrection of Jesus. When God, by his power, rolled away the stone... And the tomb was empty, and he raised the Messiah from the dead. And God began to create in his creation, in his world among his people, a new world, a world full of hope and new possibility where the old structures of things don't rule anymore, where not even death is certain anymore. God has come down powerfully into his world, but he doesn't mean for it to stay in one place. He means for our lives then to receive this downward power and to go out. And this would be intuitive, probably. We would think of this, I hope, even if the Bible didn't say so. But the Bible does say so. For one thing, in the passage that we read this morning, and this kind of passage is famously called the Great Commission of Jesus, where the risen Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's a lot of authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he authorizes, he gives it to his disciples, says, now you go, go out into the world. And make disciples of all nations and teach them what I have taught you. Go out. What has come down must go out. And the Gospels of Luke and John finish with similar stories of commissioning and sending. And then right at the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends to the Father. And that's a, a wild story. And it's, we're going to read that story. And next Sunday is Ascension Sunday, by the way. I think, in my opinion, 
probably one of the most misunderstood and underrated passages in the whole Bible. And we're going to talk about it next Sunday. Right before Jesus ascends to the Father, he's gathered together with his disciples. And he says to them, just wait here. Wait for you to, wait to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from God poured out on you. And interestingly enough, in the Bible, the same word that is translated as spirit or Holy Spirit in this case is also or can also be translated in other places as breath or wind. Just wait for the wind of God to come down into your life and into your community and for it to blow you out and you will be my witnesses in all the world out to the ends of the earth. And then a little bit later on the very first Christian Pentecost Sunday, the believers were gathered together and the Bible says they heard something like the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and they were indeed blown out to the ends of the earth to be witnesses for Jesus. And when Jesus said these things to his first disciples and when he says them to us through the words of scripture today, I think he takes for granted, Jesus assumes that we will not only be sent out with words to speak, but that we'll be sent out with lives to live, that our lives will be transformed, that the news of the resurrection of Jesus will change the way that we think and the way that we act as what has come down sends us out. And if we were all weather systems... (laughs) This would just happen normally, though maybe not predictably if you know what the weather forecasts are like. But we are not weather systems. We are human beings, and it's complicated. And sometimes what has come down gets held in. And the ways that we think and the ways that we act are are not transformed by what has come down. What makes that happen? One of the things that makes it difficult, I think, for God to work in our lives to change the ways that we think and act is that we are not usually aware of the ways that we think and act. It's just normal to us. It's just who we are. Let me give you an example. My dearly beloved grandmother, who died seven years ago last month, my grandmother, whom I loved very much, who has, with, with whom I formed some of my favorite childhood memories at her home in East Tennessee, my grandma and my grandpa down there, my dearly beloved grandmother was a racist. And, and I did not know this for a long time. And throughout most of our life together, I was not aware of it. Because the things that we did never brought us into that conversation. Playing games in their big backyard, doing some chores around grandma and grandpa's house, eating the delicious pies that my grandmother baked, no kidding, every single day. Just never took us into areas of conversation where race was a topic. But every once in a while, but every once in a while, she would say stuff. I mean, ugly stuff. Stuff that kind of, even as a kid, made me cringe. And it'd make you cringe if I would repeat it now also. Every once in a while, she would say stuff. And here's the thing. I didn't know for a long time that my grandma was a racist. But I don't think she ever knew. (laughs) I don't think she ever realized. I don't think she had any idea. And I, as a kid, as her grandson growing up, I was a kid most of the time. I, I never said anything to her about it. It was just the way she thought. It was her normal. She didn't think about the way that she thought. She just thought. She didn't think about the way that she acted. She just acted. It was her normal. I think you and I are very similar to that. I think we struggle with the same problem. Maybe it's not in the area of racism. Maybe it is. But we struggle with our otherwise normal. We struggle with our previous normal. So it happens to us. It holds it in. 
I think that normal is probably the enemy of change of almost every kind. But I also think that our previous normal can be one of the strongest enemies of Christian formation. Normal can be one of the strongest enemies of Christian discipleship. And its greatest strength is this. It's nearly invisible. We don't see it. We don't pay any attention to it. So I don't think that most people who have experienced the love of Jesus come down into their lives consciously say, I don't care what Jesus teaches. I don't care what Jesus did. I don't care about his example. I don't care about what God wants. I'm just going to do it my way. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think most of us who are gathered here for worship today would say, God has come down powerfully into my life, but I am not letting it out. It will not change me. I'm holding it in. I don't think it works that way. But we struggle anyway. We still struggle. What comes down sometimes doesn't go out. And it's because normal will often hold it in. And I bet you could think of a lot of examples of this. And I know I could. We could talk about this for a long time. And maybe over the course of this morning and over the course of this week, one of the things that God wants to do in your life is to speak to some of the issues of previous or otherwise normal and draw you into closer relationship with Jesus and into discipleship, to living your life and our life together after his pattern. But I want to give you just one example this morning that comes from the Bible and connects with the life of our church family here this morning in worship and in what we're doing together. And it comes from the biblical book that we now call 1 Corinthians. And we get to read about this because there were some, ancient, some Christians in ancient Corinth who celebrated the Lord's Supper together in a way that was very, very normal for them. And it turned out to be a pretty big problem. You see, when ancient Corinthians, like many other ancient peoples, would get together for a dinner party, usually somebody in the community, in the town, who had some significant means, who had a big enough house to host everybody, would invite friends over for a big party. And houses then, like houses now, had dining rooms, but it wasn't big enough for everybody to sit in the kind of main dining area. So usually the closest friends of the host would sit kind of in the main dining room there with him, and they would often be business partners or members of the same social class. But then everybody else who was also invited to the party had to find seats in the living room or somewhere out in the lounge or wherever else, or maybe out in the courtyard, in the yard, on the patio, on the back deck, or whatever it was that they had on their house. This was just the normal way of doing things. It probably doesn't sound that foreign from the ways that maybe some things happen right now. It was also normal that when the food and the wine would be served, they would be brought, first of all, to the main dining room, and then as much as was left would be distributed out to everybody else. But it didn't always make it to everybody else. You hoped there was enough, but maybe there wasn't always. But when some of these Corinthians heard the good news about Jesus, and they began to believe that he was Lord and that God was creating life in him now and forever, well, they still ate dinner together. They still had parties together, and God bless them for that. I think it's a great idea. Then they would start to celebrate the Lord's Supper, not in a symbolic way like we often do with a small piece of bread or a small cup of wine or grape juice, as we'll do in our worship service in a few minutes, but they would do it as part of a whole meal. But that also meant that the bread and the wine that were the elements of the Lord's Supper in particular would be served in the same way, plenty for the main dining room, and you know, hopefully the rest would get out to everybody else. Well, this was completely normal for them. But when the report of this reached their pastor, a guy named Paul, who we now call the Apostle Paul, who had started this church and nurtured it for a period of time and then went on to start other churches, he got a report about this and he about blew his stack. 
And I want to read to you from the letter that he wrote, that, wrote to them to address this issue in their lives. It comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's in chapter 11. This is what he wrote to them about that. He said, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. This is not a good start, is it? You imagine we come together for worship, and somebody has to write us a letter with the authority of God and say, when you come together, you're hurting each other more than you're helping each other. He continues, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. And then he gets a little sarcastic with them. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, here we are, come together, it is not even the Lord's Supper that you are eating. Boy, that's a news flash in a negative way, isn't it? For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. This is not good. This is way too normal, isn't it? What has come down into their lives is not making its way out again. They're holding it in. Or normal is, anyway. And so Paul continues. He said, let me take you back to the very beginning of how it was that I taught you about this meal in the first place. It's what I received from the Lord himself. And so then Paul writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then in the rest of the passage, Paul has to say to these Corinthian Christians, stop eating this meal together like it's so normal. You can't do this anymore according to your previous way of life. You can't eat this meal anymore in the way that other people would celebrate a meal together, but Jesus is not their Lord because he is your Lord, and that changes everything. The power of God has come down into our lives. It must get out we have received the gift of the body of Christ come down into us, and now we get to live out our lives as the body of Christ together in the world. And that's what we're trying to do here together this morning. We're gathered around the Lord's table. In just a few minutes, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. But as we are gathered around the Lord's table, we want to do our best in the power of God's Spirit to see to it that other tables in our community and in our neighborhoods that are cared for by our local White Bear Lake food shelf are also filled with all they need and that it won't stay on our table. So we're going to do three things here this morning. First, I'm going to ask you to go a short way out, just even right here in this worship service. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and close our service of worship with some prayer and some music of worship. And then we're going to go out and continue to live as the body of Christ. You might sit down at a table out there with some other people and have some pancakes and be brothers and sisters in Christ together. You might go over into the fellowship hall and pack up some of the food that's in the crates out there and share that with our neighbors. 
But first, here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to practice, and if you're a, a raging introvert, I, may, I will make this easy for you, okay? Just, if you're shy, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll make this as easy as possible. What I'd like you to do is turn to somebody nearby you, preferably someone that you're not related to or married to. That'd be great. Turn to them and introduce yourself. Say, hi, my name is, what's your name, right? And you may know their name already, but it may be that you should know it and it's just too late to ask anymore. So you all have to say it now. You got your free pass, okay? Say, my name is Steve Turnbull, but don't say that. Say your name. Say, my name is Steve Turnbull. What's your name? And then, wait, oh, wait, I'm not done yet. Oh, you guys are good. So much energy. Awesome. Thank you. After you do that, I want you to say one more thing. Uh, maybe for the introverts, this is too much. That's why you went. All right. Do one more thing. After you know each other's names, then just say this. Say Steve, but don't say Steve. Their name's not Steve. Say, Steve, we're, we're family, and you matter to me. Okay? We're family, and you matter. So just say those things. I'm going to walk over here and do this also, and I'll be right back in just a second. So ready, go. Man, I was hoping that would work. That was awesome. You met more than one person, didn't you? <laughs> Family, this meal that we're about to share together is not a normal meal. This is a meal where we do this in remembrance of Jesus. The gift of God that has come down into our lives, the body of Christ given to us, that becomes also the pattern for the lives that we live. The body of Christ has been given to us, and now we live out our lives as the body of Christ. And we celebrate this meal together as one big family. We've actually got four little tables or stations around the room. In just a minute, there's going to be two of them up front here. There's already two set up in the back. Uh, you may not know where to go right away, but just go where the ushers tell you to go. They're going to dismiss you kind of row by row. If you're in the back of the room, they're probably going to dismiss you and send you backward in the room. You're actually going to have to go out those individual side doors, but don't leave yet, okay? Come on back in the center doors. And receive a, a small wafer of bread, just as people in the front will, a small wafer of bread and a small cup of wine. Or there's white grape juice available in the center of the tray, if you prefer. You receive the gift of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, the presence of the Spirit of Christ in your life. And then you can just return to your seats, up, probably up or back the center aisle or back over to the chapel. And please remember that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together today, as every time we do it, it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, who invites you to his table of grace. Amen.